Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Teco. My name is Monty Rossetti and I'm here with Alexis Terrazas. And Alexis, let's start this off the right way. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing uh, I'm doing pretty well as well as I can. A little tired, Monty, but um, I'm just incredibly, uh, incredibly grateful, uh, especially in, you know, I might be a little tired, right? But when I look at the work of members in our community and... You know, I really have to just kind of check myself and think, man, like I, my job, my life is great. You know, I get to share other people's stories. Um, and oftentimes there are people that are doing really amazing work. And, um, you know, and I'm really proud that, you know, we have yet another one of those people on today's show. You're talking about being grateful. And I know for sure I'm grateful for all the hard work that you've done for Tecolote over the years and, you know, amplifying stories. And that's what we're doing on this podcast. And this is what this episode today is all about. Uh, we have Malik Washington, who is also doing a great job and amplifying stories uh, over at the San Francisco Bayview. Um, let us know, let, tell the listeners a little bit about Malik. Um, I, he'll definitely go into some, you know, some details and everything. But uh, give, give us a little bit of a, of a heads up on, on who Malik Washington is. Malik's amazing. Uh, I had the absolute honor and privilege of meeting Malik uh, in a very, like, way, in a way that is not common, I guess, anymore. Writing letters. Like, he and I were pen pals for a little bit when he was incarcerated at USP Pollock in Louisiana. Um, you know, so he was a, he's a formerly incarcerated person, uh, a black man in America, originally from Texas, I believe. And when he got out, um, he was actually preparing. And that's how we started corresponding. You know, he was asking for like maybe some guidance, some some uh, reading material on how to prepare to be the editor of the San Francisco National Black Newspaper here, um, you know, and here in San Francisco. And somebody like myself, who has been the editor of El, Tecol, uh, El Tecolote for seven years, I always have seen it as my responsibility to help um, other journalists of color, you know. So when Malik wrote out to me, I was like, yeah, let's let's go. And, you know, but he has just an amazing story, but also just amazing, you know, insight um, into a lot of different things that are affecting us today. And I feel like right now, Monty, we're in a really pivotal time where we're finally talking about a lot of things in our society that, you know, before we're just kind of accepted, but now we realize that they are crippling us. So I'm just really excited to to have Malik on and to provide a platform yet again for him to uh, to shed some light on a, a really uh, special holiday that that is coming up. I think this episode's airing just a little bit after uh, Juneteenth, but um, you know it's just yet another way uh, for us to like amplify the the story the message of what this holiday in particular means to somebody like him no exactly uh we're we're doing an episode here about what is juneteenth um and i think you know having malik on this episode is, is a great uh a great thing for all of us he's going to inform us and, and let us know more about this this holiday and so without further ado here's malik washington Everybody, welcome to another episode of Radio Teco. We have Malik 
Washington here and Malik to lead it off my first and most important question how are you doing today well I'm doing excellent and I'm doing better than I was doing last week because last week I was still in the custody of the federal government but now that part of my life is over so I'm starting my new life uh, new chapter as a free human being the state still has some hold on me but I'm not dealing with the feds and the feds Man, there's a lot to talk about with the feds as far as what we what we thought we knew about U.S. Constitution and freedom of speech. We have a lot to talk about um, in regard to that. So I'll let you ask the questions and I'll answer them. Awesome, man. Well, you know what? Just kind of um, thank you for setting aside the time to, to talk with us today. And my first question on the topic of, of, of freedom, you know, this episode will be airing uh, just, I think, a little bit after Juneteenth. But you know, as as a as a black man in America, as somebody who's you know was recently incarcerated, um, you know what what did give us what the history of what you know what Juneteenth is. Okay, so Juneteenth is an African American holiday that originated in Texas, and what happened was when the Emancipation Proclamation was issued by Lincoln, in which in essence, supposedly freed all the slaves who were black. Okay, so what happened is Texas plantation owners, because, you know, Texas actually had a vested interest in ensuring that their slaves didn't know that they were free. And it's very synonymous from what I saw when I was incarcerated in Texas, how they try to control information that comes in and out of the penitentiary. They were, and what's really crazy is Texas prisons aren't called prisons. They're called plantations. I don't know if anybody knew, knew that, but they're actually called plantations. Okay. So they're still called plantations. And, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we're talking about Juneteenth. So Juneteenth is a holiday that's celebrated in the African-American community. And what makes it a holiday is like I said, the, the plantation owners in Texas didn't let their slaves know that they were free. So they kept toiling in slavery for two years, not two months, not two days, for two years. Slaves in Texas continued to be slaves. They did not know that they were emancipated. And the our good plantation brothers and sisters didn't tell them. OK, because remember, there's a connection with profits. Remember, their their bodies have been commodified. Their labor have been exploited. Their bodies have been abused. So there's a lot a, a lot of different pieces to this. Okay, so two years later, the federal government sent army troops to Galveston and forced slave owners to free their slaves. Free their slaves. I'm sorry. They forced them to free their slaves. So that became, that was basically the beginning of Juneteenth because it was a huge celebration in Texas. What? We're free? We didn't know that. I mean, it's ludicrous that they would even do that. And it's so, it, it's, it just hits on so many dehumanizing and just kind of, kind of like it makes it like you hear people talk about the great Shoah, you know, the, we're talking about um, the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust, but in Africa, you know, us as Africans, new Africans, new bay, my fiance likes to call us new Africans. We talk about the ma'afa. We don't call it a slave trade 
Because if it was a trade, there would be agreement on both parties. But when you say something was a slave trade, you're taking out the section of coercion, threats, violence. Come on, man. What I mean, I, I don't even want to begin to just count the millions and millions of lives that were lost in the Middle Passage. OK, so but anyway, Juneteenth is the celebration of the final finality of Texas slaves finally um, embracing their freedom. And we still it just recently got national prominence. It's so amazing. Juneteenth's been around for, for a long time, but just recently it's really gotten hold um, on a national level. And with that being said, we're having a kickoff. Juneteenth rally at City Hall tomorrow in San Francisco, and I think I'm going to be the MC. Yeah, one question I have is uh, the meaning of Juneteenth today. Um, I mean, the events that happened last summer uh, with the murder of George Floyd, and that was, uh, you know, a few weeks before Juneteenth of 2020. Um, and a lot of people were informed on what this this holiday was and what um, you know what this day meant. Um, but like you said, it's, it's been around for a while, but can you explain a little bit about what it means today, especially with your experiences, um, of, of being formerly incarcerated and, and kind of just seeing, you know, how the prison system pretty much is a modern day, uh, modern day slavery. Okay. Well, as far as Juneteenth is concerned today for black people in San Francisco in America, but right now I live in San Francisco. And I'm here to tell you that there is systemic and institutionalized racism in every city county department in the city of San Francisco. We see it in housing. We see it in medical care. We see it in jobs. I mean, there is a sophisticated gentrification program that is being waged against black and brown people. And that's why that, that's one of the things that brought me and Alexis together as comrades and friends, because we both figured out, we said, hey, so many of the things that ail your people are hurting our people. And one of the things that New Bay, um, and I keep mentioning New Bay because she's my comrade, she's my friend. And one thing that she said is, she's about to come in the door too. One thing that New Bay says, she said, your pain is greater than my pain. And we have to come to that realization. She taught me that. She said, your pain is greater than my pain, but that's, we need to get over that. We're all hurting here, okay? So Juneteenth is specifically geared towards black people. We are still suffering from the inequities, the gross inequities that we suffered hundreds of years ago during the slave plantation. So nothing much has changed. It's just it's just gotten a little bit more subtle, a little bit more covert. You see a smile and a wink. You, you know, it's it's not there's there's shackles, but you can't see them. I as a black man, I have a knee on my neck constantly. You might not be able to see it, but I feel it and I see it every day. OK, and that's why it is important for us to honor Juneteenth. We want to honor our ancestors, too. We, I, I didn't even mention the millions and millions and millions of sisters and brothers who died during the Middle Passage. Some of them jumped off of these slave ships and to get eaten by sharks because they did not want to see them or their children to come to America for, for what? To be a slave? Man, I'd rather die than submit or subject my family to that. And this is their thinking, 
you know. So, yeah, Juneteenth is very um, significant today. And um, we're seeing a lot of um, there's some it, it's a more sophisticated form of racism that we're dealing with, but it still exists. Malik, you talked a little bit about what brought us together, and uh, I do want to share a little bit about that story. Um, I remember I received a, a letter from you while, uh, while you were housed at uh, USP Pollock in Louisiana. I don't remember, that had to have been a few, like two years ago, maybe? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. About a year and, and a half now. Yeah, and you were getting ready, you know, uh, preparing yourself, obviously, for, for life outside and, and to, um, to work at the SF Bayview National Black Newspaper. You know, and um, and thank you so much for for writing. It was you know, um, it was just such a such an honor to to meet you that way and uh, and to pen pal with you, um, you know, like that, um, you know. And I kind of want to talk about or my next question really would be, you know, for those who don't know, you know, there seems to be like a few people in our circles that kind of get it, but for those who don't, um, and you kind of touched on this already, but explain a little bit how like slavery is still a massive part of of american society especially when you look at you know i mean you touched about the segregation that exists uh here in san francisco you know but talk about you know how you see it you know from the eyes of a formerly incarcerated person uh, a black man in america you know how is like you know you know how is slavery still very much part of our of our society all right first and foremost you must know that the state of Texas has perfected the art. They've actually turned it into an art exploiting free prison labor. They've turned it into an art form. It is promoted, condoned, and sanctioned all the way to the governor's house. Okay? Uh, Gregory Abbott is just a horrible racist. He is a horrible racist who is in lockstep with the Trumpian Steve, these Steve Bannons, these these um, Alex, what's that fool, Alex Jones. I mean, these they're, they're in lockstep. They share a white supremacist and white nationalist ideology, and it perpetuates itself within the prison system in Texas. There are 110 plantations in Texas, and the reason why they call them plantations is that they exploit free prison labor. The prisoners go out, and I'm always a former prisoner, they go out and they till the fields with an Aggie. They cut the grass with the Aggie. They till the field. They um, harvest corn, beans, some some do cotton. I mean, it, it is 2021. And we have prisoners in Texas who go out into these fields They and they don't get paid one red cent, not one red dime. They don't even feed them any better now. They feed them like dogs. I mean, okay. And they treat them worse. You get you're so degraded. A day you go out there, first you gotta strip naked. You gotta strip naked on your way out, your butt booty naked, standing beside and, and you're in rows. And you're standing butt booty naked before you go out. Then you when you come back, they make you strip again. You know, you're out in broad daylight, you're standing next to another man, you've got these white boys. And some dumbass Jeff and House House Negroes, blacks too, with cowboy hats and Confederate, um, you you know, gray uniforms on, and they're on these, they got these straw hats and these guns. Now get out of them, boy. Get out them clothes, Washington. Squat, cough, turn around, let me see it. Every day, they don't get paid a red cent. So what they did is they they pulled a trick on us. 
They said, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to give you something called good time and work time. So you get a timesheet and that timesheet has the flat time that you serve, the good time that you serve, that you get credit for and the work time that you get credit for. But it's bullshit. It's all smoke and mirrors. I've seen men and women with timesheets in which they have served. It looks on paper that they've served double their sentences because of the good time and work time. So you got somebody with a 20 year sentence, right? They got a 20 year sentence and they've served 40. On paper, it looks like they served 40 years. What the hell are they still doing in prison? They should have been made parole. So that's a perpetuation of the exploitation of the free prison labor. So as I continue to become politicized while I was incarcerated, I said, you know what? We should be getting paid. There, there's got to be something in the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment that, that, you know, that we should be able to get paid for our labor. We're being exploited. So I said, you know, I started motivating a lot of men to uh, file a civil lawsuit in federal court in Texas, challenging the fact that we weren't getting paid and also challenging the fact that the good and work time was bogus. It wasn't being counted. So we filed that. And I remember the first um, response that I got back from the federal judge. It was a female. It was a woman. And she said, um, she cited the 13th Amendment. She said, hey, you basically, she said, you don't have a dog in this fight. She said, the 13th Amendment allows Texas to treat you any way they want to. So when the 13th Amendment gets fixed, Mr. Washington, then I'll hear your case. Until then, kick rocks. That's basically what she said. I'm just saying I'm not I'm not speaking to legal ease. I'm just talking in layman's terms so people can understand exactly what I'm talking about. And she had an attitude. She had an attitude. It, it, it actually jumped off the page when I got the motion back. Oh, and let me tell you, it wasn't just a couple guys. There was like 89 people at the prison that I was at that I got the sign on with this lawsuit. And when they called us down there for legal mail, there were 89 men in line waiting to get put in that lawsuit. That's when I really became a problem for Texas. They said, oh, wait a minute. We got 89 guys suing us to, to pay. We don't need that. Who's doing that? Washington, oh, we're going to have to do something about him. And this is, you, you know, you know, we got to do something about that boy. He he too smart, <laughs> you, you know. So the thing is, and, and that wasn't the, dirt, the word they used. They used influence. You know, influence was a very dirty word when you were in prison. You know, they, they used it to criminalize you, to gangsterize you, to uh, place false labels on you. So the, but, but what I'm saying is, is under the auspices of the exception clause in the 13th Amendment, the state of Texas is allowed to treat you like a slave. They don't have to pay you. You're still a slave. So now we're starting to go look out Juneteenth again. You start to say, look at the Emancipation Proclamation. You said you freed the slaves. But I know about 154,000 men and women in Texas who are still slaves and who are still treated like slaves. The conditions in Texas are horrible. OK on par with Alabama and Florida, these Southern states, they're still perpetuating and practicing slavery. But what we hear always here under another name, mass incarceration, you know? And while I was incarcerated, I want to set touch on this is that's when I really got in touch with um, our Mexican sister and brother, sisters and brothers. I really, really forged some fantastic relationships with the Mexican people, the human beings that were trapped behind the cages simply because I used my intellect and some of my skills 
just to lend aid for nothing, just to lend aid just because, you know what I'm saying? Because I saw the um, the way that the legal system just ran over Mexican women and men because there was a language barrier. But you, you know, they don't give a damn. Speak English. What if you can't speak English? And then that judge, they handle you in Texas courts. You, there's not always a translator or somebody with ESL training or anything. And I've watched them. I've watched how they throw these sisters and brothers, man. They throw them underneath these bridges, man. You, you know what I'm saying? They give them an aluminum blanket. And all they were trying to do is come here and be free. That's all. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and thank you for saying all that because that's – it's definitely something that um, uh, I, I think a lot of us need to understand. It's it's more of a of a sign of unity, um, you know, among the the black community, the the Latino community, the Asian community, the LGBTQ plus community, and and every community that's being oppressed. Because you know we hear those phrases, you know, land of the free and all that, and and we know that's not necessarily true uh, for a lot of a lot of people. Um, I mean, myself, I, I'm a white male and I know that, you know, my I, I can walk on, you know, down the street without as you know, without very many issues. I have that privilege. But here I'm with uh, two two people, one one black and one brown. And it's not the same for for, for you guys. Um, so I think there is a lot of you know truth, obviously, in what you're saying. Um, but I, I did actually want to mention uh, you had an article in the San Francisco Bayview national black newspaper talking about Juneteenth and, and the meaning behind it. And you also mentioned how this was your first Juneteenth as a, as a free man. Can you explain a little bit more about what you meant uh, by, by saying that? All right. So we talked about what freedom looks like. Okay. So picture me in a solitary cage about a year and a half ago, and then look at me today. Okay. But you just mentioned the June issue of the San Francisco Bay View, and you referenced a piece that I wrote. But one thing that we have to know for sure is that the editor of the San Francisco Bay View National Black Newspaper is right here. And she picked and went through every story that, and actually a lot of the papers, she actually said, I want that there, I want this there, I want this there, right? So I want to give her that credit and give her that you know, just honor her work. But this is what freedom looks like. You know, I mean, this is what this is what freedom to me looks like. Can you introduce yourself, uh, Nube, to, to our listeners here, please? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, this is Nube Brown. I'm the, the new editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. And um, yes, I have humbly taken this seat, the editor's chair, as they say. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. The, the reason why Nube has to go is that she's working on her radio program. She has a radio program that she that comes on every week. It's called Prison Focus Radio on KPOO 89.5 FM. So, so, so Nube, um, she also does Bayview TV every morning. We've got this badass digital thing uh, going on called Bayview TV. Her and Griffin have been um just dedicated every day at nine o'clock, they come on with Bayview TV and they talk about breaking news uh, within our community. But they also talk. Uh, she also does a bare bones incident report where she reads letters from prisoners on the inside. So she's doing everything she can to utilize our platform in a means so that we can amplify the voices of our sisters and brothers that don't get heard that often. And that's what the baby that's what our paper is all about. 
is amplifying the voices of the voiceless. Um, there is something there is something else that I need to touch upon, though. OK, so I was the editor of the paper when I got out, but I'm not now. OK, and a lot of that has to do with some of the coercion and some of the U.S. constitutional violations that I was being subjected to by the federal government. And so now that I'm no longer in their custody, I can talk about Geo Group and the feds. And, and you know, Geo Group, I have a serious issue with Geo Group. And I think Alexis has uh, the same issue I have. I mean, they're the uh, largest, no, uh, largest for-profit prison corporation in the world, okay? Um, they're huge and they make a lot of money on exploiting uh, black and brown people. But uh, I know that they, you know, I have personal experience with them where they hurt our Latin X community, you know, our Mexican, our people that are from Azaban, you know, are, are, they hurting our people, you know, and I've already touched upon that. I don't want to go into no deep, um, more conversation with that. I'll let Lexus talk more about that. But one thing I want to say is so Geo Group is a for profit prison corporation. And when I exposed the COVID outbreak downtown at that halfway house, I had been I had been in the community for a few months. I had been on KPFA every week. I'm on KPFA with Dennis Bernstein and Flashpoints. I'm doing this with Steve Zelser and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But as soon as I spoke out about that COVID outbreak, okay, and Geo Group is the Federal Bureau of Prisons contractor. So the Federal Bureau of Prisons contracts Geo, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons falls underneath the U.S. Department of Justice. Okay, now we're we're still trying to get this suss this out. Biden said that they he was going to order the U.S. Department of Justice to cease doing all business with private prison corporations. Okay. But the first thing he did is he started saying he started putting he started quantifying it or qualify, you know, qualifying it, saying qualifying, saying, OK, the immigration facilities can still exist. OK, I mean, wait a minute. They're probably the most egregious abusers of human rights. They're the ones that we got to force. What the hell's going on? So we have to hold their feet to the fire. We have to we, we have to hold Kamala Harris and Joe Biden accountable for the ongoing abuses that Geo Group and Core Civic and all these other Wacken Hut, all these other private prison corporations visit upon our people. Um, but what I'm, I want to get at is the constitutional violation. So once I expose the COVID outbreak, all of a sudden the Bureau of Prison says, you can't talk to anyone in the media. You can't talk to another journalist. You can't do any radio programs with putting, without putting in a special request that has to go all the way to Washington, D.C. to get approved. You have to put in a, a special request to speak at a rally. I mean, all these First Amendment violations, you know, be, it, but it, before I before I exposed the COVID outbreak, I was acting a fool. I was doing over here, over there, you know, and just briefly, if we want to talk about um you know, what, what, you know, my life looks like now, it's like, you know, and we're talking about unity. I mean, Michelle and Ashley Monterosa asked me if I would MC the Toucan block party, you know, so that's how they feel about the Bayview. That's how they feel about me. And that's what they, that, that's what, that's what solidarity looks like. 
You can talk about it all you want, but solidarity, it looks like what you're doing, Monty, a white guy hosting a, a black man and a Mexican man. Am I, am I right? Okay. You are um, correct. Okay. okay, so so here's Monty hosting a, a black man and a Mexican man. And this is this is what solidarity looks like. Don't tell me about solidarity. I want to hear you talking. Let me see what it looks like. Oh, and uh, Malik, you touched on so much there. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, um, you know, I, I, I remember Geo Group coming on my radar a few years ago where they were housing like the, uh, of course, like um, the sep- they were separating minors from their parents who were, you know, who are seeking asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. And they would have them in these nice facilities. Right. And but then kids would like die, you know, kids would die in these in these facilities. And. You know, Monty and I have done uh, a few interviews with some people down at the uh, at the U.S.-Mexico border who who help migrants. Right. And, you know, the one of the themes themes that, that have been really common is that this is not just like a Republican partisan problem. Right. I think a lot of people were motivated in the era of Trump because he was an overt white supremacist, racist, right? Xenophobe, like he was over. But now you're seeing kind of like, in my opinion, this revert back to kind of like this covert stuff where, you know, like you mentioned, Biden uh, qualifying, um, you know, hey, well, okay, maybe not have so many private prisons, but, you know, let's have them for migrants. And then you saw like Kamala Harris's comments. Um, We're recording this on June 16th. So about a week ago or 10 days ago, you know, she basically told Guatemalan migrants don't come. Right. And all of that. So um, a lot to touch on there. Um, But I did want to ask you, and my apologies, Monte, if you've already asked this, um, you know, but something really special happened for you, uh, uh, Malik. I believe it was uh, June 11th. Um, Do you want to share uh, with our listeners, you know, what, what happened? Um, right. right. Like- the, the ankle monitor got removed. So, you know, I had been under, um, I had been on home confinement, which Nube and I call house arrest because that's what it was. We were both under house arrest, but, um, so I had an ankle monitor on me and I used to have to fill out mountains of paperwork. Every time I made a move, I would have to fill out a piece of paper and ask for permission to go here to go wash clothes. I mean, to wash a teria, is right here. It's only like I can hit it with a baseball right there. That's how close it is. And I used to have to actually put in a request to go play basketball. I mean, just go to go take new bait to dinner, to ride bikes on the Embarcadero. And it's like, you got the GPS on me already, right? You got this global positioning device, tracker device. You know, it has a satellite up in the air. It know, they know exactly where I'm, where I'm at every moment that I'm out here, right? Yet they have me filling out this mountains of paperwork and then they want me to text a minder every time I move. That's how my life was. I had to fill out a mountain of paperwork every week and then I'd have to text, I have to grab my phone. And and, then, you know, like I work in the community, I'm a case manager, okay? I work for Hope House, which uh, I work for, actually, I just started. I've been working for Hope House since like December. But I just started working for Hope House Veterans. I'm a veteran, so I'm working with um, other uh, chronically homeless vets and trying to get them housed. So I'm working for Hope House Veterans now. And so I'm in the community a lot. You know, I'm, 
I, I have like I'm in the field. OK, I, I might be on Oakdale, um, Palou, Quesada. And every time I go from street to street, I have to like headed to Quesada, headed to Oakdale. And I'm texting him. I'm texting him all day long, every time I move. But you got the GPS on me, man. What else do you guys want? So, and, and then that they were still having that gag order on me while I was on GPS because I was still under their jurisdiction. You had people like Dennis Bernstein scared to death. Dennis is, Dennis is scared to death of being implicated in a lawsuit. Do you blame him? I don't blame him. A few years ago, Dennis was dragged out of his seat. I'm talking about Dennis Bernstein, the executive producer of Flashpoints, who's actually a friend of mine. And we actually have collaborated on the Flashpoints Bayview report that's going to start coming out every Thursday on KPFA 94.1 Berkeley. Yeah, I, I want to go back to your article in the um, in the in this latest edition of the San Francisco Bayview, where you talked about the connection between prison funding, job security, mass incarceration, and the racist hate in America. And we did talk about a few of these topics here, but for me, I wanted to focus on the you know the prison funding and the job security and uh, what's what's happening now with um, you know certain officers that are uh, create some violence. Um, and also the censorship that goes on uh, within the prisons. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, I have a friend named Doug Milnes from Money Geek. And Doug did a study on the statistics of uh, financial statistics and how much each state spends on law enforcement and corrections. California is number one. Would you like to know how much California spends on law enforcement and corrections? Yes, please. $35.5 billion. Jeez. Okay. So now I had to tell you that because we're talking about money. Okay. And now we're going to talk about the CCPOA, right? We're, we're talking about the California Corrections Peace Officers Association. Now, remember, California guards, correctional officers make the most of any correctional officers in the country. They make good money. Okay. $35.5 billion. Okay. So now you have the CCPOA and they are, they lobby, they lobby legislators. And not only that, they represent a voting block. Okay. Correctional officers and the police represent a voting block. Okay. Now, I am, let's say, um, Gavin Newsom, okay? And I just put out an order to release 76,000 prisoners. Now, remember, you can't release 76,000 prisoners or 62,000 or however many he said, and you can't release that many prisons and not, and not see some prisons close, right? So if those prisons close, what is that going to do to the pool of correctional officers? I mean, that's going to dwindle a little bit, right? There's going to be less. There's going to be less job opportunities for correctional officers. Remember, they make a lot of money, and to degrade, dehumanize, and mistreat our sisters and brothers, they make a lot of money, and they carry a lot of sway with these legislators, right? So, if you are a chess player and you're looking at your next move, and you see Newsom just push pawn up, right? And you're like, uh-oh, 
He just made a move. I have to counter that move. So what the correctional officers are doing in California is they're stepping up their harassment of black, brown, and poor white people. Yeah, because there's a bunch of white men that are in California prison too, right? So they have stepped up their harassment and they've also stepped up their fomentation of violence. See, if you want to secure these dollars, you have to show these legislators that these black, brown, and poor white men are very violent and we need more money to protect public safety. We can't let we can't let these super violent men and women back out into the streets. Gavin Newsom, we, hit, we so what they do is they can't stop it. Stop with Gavin Newsom. So what they'll do is they'll try to sabotage it. Okay, and it's a very coordinated, a collusive method that they do that. You're looking at the board of pardons and hearings, right? They're in it. The CCPOA in it. The investigative uh, gang intelligence unit is in it. You know, all these little and what they're doing is they're trying to up the criminalization of our sisters and brothers. They're trying to gangsterize material. They're trying to gangsterize the, the um, just the Bayview. If they had their way, they would just block the Bayview from coming in there. Right. Period. But what they do is, is if the Bayview mentions George Jackson. ooh, George Jackson, Malcolm X, you know. Juneteenth. I mean, you know, anything that raises the political awareness of a prisoner, they try to block it. They try to criminalize it. And then once you you take this material and you find a, 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 a you find a, um, you might have a book if you're um, a Latinx prisoner, you might have a book on Che. Right. OK. Um, I had to be a bad, badass um, autobiography by Lee Anderson. And it was just entitled Che. It was so bad. And I lost that book. I hate that I lost it. But it was a very, very good book. But you get that book and they'll they'll confiscate it. And I'm talking about the IGI in California. They'll confiscate it and they'll label it gang material. Then they'll label the prisoner a gang member. Even if he's not, he might not be nothing. He might not be a northerner or a southerner or nothing. Nothing. He's, he's just a regular dude. I mean, back in the gap, Pisces weren't gang members. They were just people people that came from um, Mexico and didn't speak real good English and worked their ass off. But now they're a gang. You know, I'm just being straight up. And, and, and you know I'm not lying. Pisces weren't no gang. They were just, you know, they were just uh, Mexican people that came from Mexico and they want to work, you know, and they want to uh, take care of their families and send money home. You know what I mean? But now they're a gang. So what happens in California is they'll take something, blood in my eye, George Jackson, and they'll turn that and they'll say that's gang material. And then they'll go ahead and say that the prisoner who had that is a gang member. And they'll use that as a means to sabotage his freedom. Okay. And that, and, and so there's a, and they're doing that because of job security, because they have to figure out a way to thwart or obstruct Gavin Newsom's um, decree to let these prisoners out. It, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of money at stake, right? So, we have to start looking at follow the money. Malik, this is uh, my last question. I don't know if Monty has another one, but you articulated really well and kind of broke it down how much money is invested in sustaining this, this system. 
that degrades human that degrades human beings um that ensures that you know people uh black brown poor white you know indigenous asian right that they continue to be fed into this the system um is there and apologies ahead of time if this is an impossible question to answer but do you see any way that this system ends maybe it's through you know holding our politicians who pocket money from these private prisons maybe it's holding them accountable but how do you see this system uh finally ending and and us recognizing and, and finally living up to you know liberty well first and foremost uh there's gonna have to be a paradigm shift i think a lot of times we are you, you know um malcolm x had a saying about the Democrats and Republicans, and he called them the fox and the wolf. They both serve capital zealously, but they have they appear differently to the people. All Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing is giving a more palatable form of capitalism. Capitalism is the problem because capitalism is a system of government that exploits the workers. We have to remember that. In order for there to be a paradigm shift, we have to also focus on capitalism and imperialism. What is imperialism? Imperialism is the globalization of capital. That is why Hugo Chavez was such a hated enemy of the United States because he wouldn't play ball. He nationalized Citgo and then took the money from Citgo and internalized it and used it for his people. Badass education, badass healthcare, yeah. That's why he was that's why he was such an enemy of them, because he wouldn't let them come in his country and play ball. Oh, forget that. You're not coming in our country and exploiting us for our fossil fuels. We're going to use those for the people. You know, what I mean, so what right now we are living in a time and it's continued now where we are putting profits before people. So capitalism is, is being is, is constantly in control. And, and I think the people are still thinking that something's going to change because you Kamala and Biden. No, that's the game. It's all game. And as much as I might like Michelle Obama, man, her husband was vicious. He bombed my Muslim sisters and brothers back into the Stone Age. He bombed them with drones and he was horrible. I mean, he was horrible. He talked a good game. He was a very, very um, articulate speaker, eloquent. But he, his policies were just horrible. And he was a Democrat. So we have to. So there's going to have to be a paradigm shift on how we look at things for there to be a broad change in the criminal justice system. We are already humanizing prisoners just by you having me on Radio El Teco is. You're giving me a chance. You're giving me an opportunity to humanize myself in, you know, to the public to let them say, hey, these are human beings. They are not menaces to society or super predators, as our friend Hillary Clinton would say. Malik, thank you so much for being on our show today um, and, and, you know, taking the time to talk to us about uh, your experiences, what you've seen um and and just informing us on on what's going on um I, like i said be, uh, before i think what more of us need to do is is actually listen and um people like you have an amazing amount of experience and can help educate a lot of us on you know really what's going on so thank you so much malik for your time and and we really appreciate this 
Well, thank you very much. And uh, Alexis, always, it's always an honor and pleasure, my friend. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Malik. Real quick before we sign off, I'd love to uh, allow you one last moment to um, let our audience know, our listeners know where they can find your work, the work of the SF Bayview. Um, please sure. go right ahead. Sure. Okay. Um, first and foremost, okay, me, I am an investigative reporter and the community liaison for the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. You can follow us at our website at www.sfbayview.com. We also have a very vibrant and active Instagram page. You can visit us or you can follow us on Instagram at SF Bayview. You can tune in every day and you can see my beautiful fiance and comrade in struggle, New Bay Brown on Bayview TV at 9 a.m. every day. She broadcasts live from the newsroom at the Bayview. Okay, so we have a lot going on. We have a Juneteenth in the hood um, fundraiser coming up. I don't know if I can say that or not, but we have a Juneteenth in the hood fundraiser coming up on Saturday and New Bay and a couple of our other comrades will be there. I think I might be out of town. Um, I have to fly to Indiana to support one of our comrades in Indiana who's having the Juneteenth issue. Okay, um, so yeah. Please, I just ask everyone to continue to seek out sources that, you know, color outside the lines. El Tecalote, um, amazing. You know, Mission Local. I mean, you have a lot of people in our community who are trying to speak truth to power. I mentioned uh, KPFA 94.1 FM, and I also mentioned KPO 89.5 FM. And these are platforms that, you know, they try to color outside the lines and they try to act as a voice for the people. So my name is Malik Washington with San Francisco Baby National Black Newspaper. I want to thank you for having me. Have a good day, guys. Thank you for listening to Radio Teco, the podcast of El Tecolote, California's longest running bilingual community Latino newspaper. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and are looking for more of our content, please visit our website, eltecolote.org. And if you value bilingual storytelling and would like to support our next 50 years of community journalism, please consider making a donation or sign up to volunteer.